them through all of this to show that it no longer is sufficient. Now Jesus is the one that's sufficient. He is the supreme. He is the superior. And that's why he goes through all of these different places. And when we're going to go through the earthly sanctuary, talking about the tabernacle, we've gone through the high priest, we're going to go through the priesthood tonight. And it's just showing how Jesus is superior to all of the old law, the old covenant, so that they can completely rest in him. You guys, with the culture within the Judaism, it was so tied around everything that had to do with the temple or the tabernacle. It was all the focus was on that because that's how they had a relationship with God. And so with somebody coming in and saying, now the focus needs to be on Jesus Christ, you can understand how the mind for them was so hard to comprehend and take focus off of everything they've been taught since they were a little kid and all their forefathers have been into to see that, yeah, that is complete now in Jesus Christ. That he's taken all that and he's done it all and he's completed it. Now we need to focus on him. And so as the writer goes through these other two arguments he's going to make, the doctrinal argument and then the practical is going to go into how Jesus is that superior to the priesthood that they were used to seeing and used to being a part of. So starting out in chapter 7, we've already gone through 1 through 10, talking about the, the historical. And so in verses 11 through 25 is the doctrinal. And this section's a little bit long, so we're going to try to get through it. Tonight, and we'll see uh, if I have to end it short. We'll just keep going on with it next week. So, or next week is a different thing. Anyways, we'll get on with it later. So, let's go ahead and start reading in verse 11 of chapter 7 of Hebrews. It says, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there than another, uh, that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. Verse 14, For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of the fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand there is an annoying of the former commandment uh, because of its weakness and profitableness. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And Lord, we just want to ask that you would just teach us tonight as we go through this stuff that seems confusing because we don't have the background, we don't have the tradition within Judaism, Lord. And so I pray that you would just explain it well, and Lord, that you would just use me. And uh, Lord, that we can just give you the glory and and get to see how awesome and sufficient you are. And uh, just the personal things that apply to our lives, being Gentiles, Lord, and what you've done, and that we can forever just come to you, and you will forever be before us. And you're the one that's going to be there mediating for us. And we just thank you for that, Lord, and we praise you for that, that there is no fault there, that it's a consistency that we can always rely on. And so we thank you for that, and we just ask that you just teach us through your word. Amen. Okay, so the doctrinal argument. The first part of this is that I'm going to go through, I think it's four different sections on this doctrinal argument to break it down. So the first one is going to be both the priesthood and the law were imperfect. Okay? That's the first argument that's going to be made against this, is that they're both, the priesthood and the law were imperfect. When it talks right there at the very first in in verse 11, it says, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, what further need is there of another priest that should arise according to the order of Melchizedek? 
Because in their mind is that everything is fulfilled through the Levitical priesthood. Why would you need to change it? So you have these Hebrew people there that all of a sudden this person's coming in and saying, hey, here's another high priest. Here's one that's more than our high priest. They would be thinking, well, what was wrong with the old one? What was wrong with the old system? I mean, God set it up. He used Moses to set this up, gave, gave the commandments, gave the whole law. So why in the world would we need to change it when it's been okay? And that's why the writer has to go through and he's going to point out all the things that were wrong with it. Not wrong as far as they were incorrect or they were a sin, but wrong as far as they didn't complete what man needed to have that relationship restored with God. And so he's got to go through and he's got to make these arguments with them to show them. So in their mind, they're thinking that there is perfection that can be found within Levitical law. But the writer's saying, what need would there be of another high priest or of this priest after the order of Melchizedek if that was okay? And so therefore it wasn't. The perfection was not there. In Hebrews, perfection and the word perfect are used a lot. And a lot of times what they're used is, is you could put the word completed or fulfilled in that same place. So you could say, therefore, it was not completed. Or if it were completed through the Levitical law, it wasn't completed. And I like using that word more because it doesn't say that, hey, the law is an error in the sense of it was a wrong because we know it wasn't. It just is not a completion. It was part. And later we'll get talking about how it was just a teacher for us. It was a teacher for the Jews to show them what they needed. And so in the verse, it talks about, you know, and then with their mind, they're thinking completely that, okay, it's complete in that priesthood, but however, the ministry of the priest could not change the heart of the sinner. That's where it was at fault. The ministry of those priests, the Levitical priests, the ones after Aaron, could not go and do the work. They could do that ministry that they were called to, but it would not change the heart of the person. There was, there was something that was lacking there. And we've seen that over and over. As you guys go through and you study the Old Testament, they were giving sacrifice. They were doing this, but their hearts were not changed. There was recognition of there was sin that was happening. There was always this, and we'll talk about it later in chapter 10, and it says that they, they had to see that because it was a reminder of sin. That's what the sacrifices were. But it wasn't what God promised later on, that he's going to take out our heart and give us a new one, right? That has to be through Jesus Christ, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And that's what had to happen through him. So the, the ministry of the priest was lacking in that. And the perfection could not be given to them. Perfection could not be given to us through that way. Anything that we do by our works, perfection is not going to be given to us. Completion is not going to come to us. And it's so interesting. As I went through and I studied this, it was so evident and so pointed back to, in some churches, it's gone back to they've set up a priest for themselves. They've set up a whole order that they need to do so that they can be complete in being able to get to heaven or being complete and being able to find that favor with God. And it's all these traditions and these rules that have been set up and even calling a guy a priest again. And it's such a sad thing that they've returned to doing that when right here it's so evident in this chapter that that is not what he's called, that Jesus Christ is that new priest, that he's the one that's going to fulfill and he's the everlasting priest. It will never go away. So in verse 19, or verse 19 later on, it says that the law made nothing, nothing perfect, right? And then in that chapter 10, verse 1 through 3, it says, For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not of the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then they would not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. 
But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Pointing back to it, and that's what the reason for it. That's the whole reason that God had set that up is so that that could be seen. And also to foretell that he's going to take care of it by the blood being put on the mercy seat, mercy seat once a year on the Day of Atonement. So this law that, we, that they have there, it wasn't in something, like I've said, that it was an error, it was something wrong, but it was as a teacher. If you guys look over in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. And this is Paul. We know for sure this one. Paul wrote this one. So he's writing to uh, the Galatian believers, but he's also talking about with the Jewish people that were there. And he asks them, he says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of the mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have, been given, would have been by the law. But the scripture is confined all under sin, that the promise by a faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. And right here, verse 24, it says, Therefore the law was our tutor, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. No longer under that law. Which is something that's like, oh, all right. I like how that reads. So what you're saying is then there's no rules for Christians. And you guys know that that's absolutely not right. And even Paul addresses that in Romans. He says, what should we do? Should we sin the more than let grace abound? And he says, oh, certainly not. Absolutely not. That the thing is, is that we're not trying to do the things that are right or trying to follow God's ways because we're seeking favor. We're trying to figure out some ways we can sacrifice things in our lives to have that salvation. That's not the way it is. We know that. But rather, why we follow what he asks us to do, why we, why we do the things that we do as Christians and follow his ways is because it's this inner part of the Holy Spirit is telling us and he's directing us in the way we should go. He's showing us the way that we should go and the reason that we do it is out of love because of what Christ has done. It's not out of compulsion because we feel that we have to get favor, but it's, it's, it's because we want to be with our Savior. It's that relationship that's there. Just like any kid, you guys know with your kids that when you're dealing with them, if they're under this law in the home, there's not peace, is there? If they're just trying to follow these rules, well, guess what? They're going to break them and you're going to get mad. And it's going to be this whole thing that's going back and forth, but if instead, and I'm not saying take all the rules out of your house, that's not where I'm going with it, but where's the focus at? Is it because they're, they're rule breakers and that's where the focus is and now they've offended the rules that you set up, they've offended your authority? Or is it rather that you're using the things you've set up, this guideline that you've given them so that it will guide their hearts and it will guide them to Christ? That you're training up the child in the way that they should go. It's not here, you're a lawbreaker, and so here's what the discipline is. It's rather it's training them up, and you're showing them and guiding them in their heart. You can, there's the, I don't remember, what was the name of that uh, thing that we did? Shepherding a Child's Heart. Great study, you guys. Great book to get a hold of. And it really focuses on that and really shows what is the reason that we do that. And I, with God's heart, that's the same way it is. 
It's not this God that's okay. He's just looking for us to get into trouble so he can come down with his rod and beat you over the head with it. That's not the way he is. It's that loving father, right? I'm so thankful that that's the way it is. So when you look at that, in that tutor and what it's talking about, that we have to have that tutor, it's to show us the things that we're doing wrong. To show us that we need a Savior. My, the, my favorite example, and I'm sure all of you guys have heard it, is, is the example of a mirror. And where you walk up, you see your face in the morning, you see that it's filthy, so you need to clean it. None of us will take that mirror off the wall and start scrubbing our faces with it. That'd be impractical, right? We pick up that rag that's for that to scrub our faces and to clean our faces. The same thing with the thermometer. We don't take a thermometer and stick it in like, okay, I'm sick, so we swallow the thermometer. All the thermometer was showing us is that we're sick. It's the exact same thing with the laws. It shows that we're filthy, and it shows that we're sick. And then we go to Jesus Christ to get cleaned and to be healed. That's who we go to. So the law being that tutor to show us that we have to have Christ. But now that we're under faith, like what it said back there in Galatians, we're no longer under that tutor. And so that's what his point is. And what he's talking about, he's really trying to help these guys understand that now it's under Jesus Christ. And so the priesthood had to be changed. And so now that it's under Jesus Christ after the order of Melchizedek, what happens is because the Levitical priesthood, the order of Aaron was put underneath the law, wasn't it? That's how they came out. So if it's under Melchizedek, now the law has to change. And here's the reason why is because what we read there is that it says that Jesus Christ is after the tribe of Judah, right? He's not from the Levitical tribe. And I think it's awesome that God did not make him a part of the Levitical tribe because then that would confuse a lot of different things, wouldn't it? It would show that, well, he's just another priest that's coming out of there and he's just following the ways that are supposed to happen according to the law. But he completely takes Jesus Christ outside of the old law by going by the order of Melchizedek to show that law has to change. And so because he's under the order of Melchizedek, now the law has to change, which is showing that now... Under Jesus Christ, the high priest is from the tribe of Judah. And the thing is, it's not going to change because Jesus Christ is everlasting. And so when it reads there, and it says in verse 12, it says, For the priesthood being changed, of necessity there is also a change of the law. In verse 13, For he, who is, for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. Saying basically that no guy from the tribe of Judah has ever been a priest. He's never had that position. But in Jesus Christ, that needs to change. Like what it said in verse 12, the law has to change too. Verse 14, For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest, who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. And that's the difference right there. It's talking about and we know that there's so many examples that talk about the law being of the flesh and the law of grace being of the Spirit, right? And right here, it's going back to talking about it, and it says that it's a fleshly commandment. And then uh, Jesus Christ being on the scene, but he is according to the power of an endless life. And we even talked about that the last time. You guys remember that part where it talked about finding that refuge and talking about those cities? And that a person that had to, back in the Old Testament, they would go to the city of refuge they would stay there until the high priest, either the time had passed where they, he wasn't going to get killed if he exited there, or if the high priest passed away. If the high priest passed away, he no longer was under that and he had to go back home. And we talked about Jesus Christ being endless, being forever, all, you know, living forever as the high priest. Therefore, we're always under refuge. 
We always have refuge in Jesus Christ. And so it comes back to the power of the endless life and being in that order of Melchizedek. And so in verse, let me see if I'm ready to go on. So if Jesus then fulfilled the law, what ended up happening is because he fulfilled the law, he nailed it to the cross. You guys remember that part over in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14? If not, let's go over there. It's a powerful part of Scripture in talking about him completing it, and that's why there is this new law is because the old law has been completed. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you being dead in your trespasses and this uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's talking about the law there. Those, those requirements that were for us, it was, it was contrary to us because the reason it was contrary is because we can't fulfill them. If you guys have ever talked to somebody outside and they, they believe that in their own system that if they have good enough morals or if they're a good enough person, then they can go to heaven. Have you guys heard that before? So there's a whole basis, and they set it up in their own minds what means, you know, what good is, which is dangerous because each person could have their requirements. They could have their, I'm this good, and then the other person could have, no, you need to be this good. There's no absolute truth in that, but within this, and what he's talking about is that with uh, him being uh, in the, let me go back to that verse, verse 13, 14, having wiped out the handing requirements against, that was against us, which is contrary to us, all of those things that people are setting up and saying, these are the things you have to do. Well, the thing is, is that if you ever sit down with a person that has that, thought that they can be that good, you can ask them, have you failed ever at any your own requirements? Have you ever lied? I mean, you know it's not right to lie. And every time they will say, yes, I have failed at that, which just proves what this verse is saying is that it's contrary to us. You know, in Romans 7, when Paul talks about the things I wish I would do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do is what I end up doing. It's contrary to us. But Jesus Christ has taken all those things in his perfection he fulfilled all those requirements, and then what he did is he nailed them to the cross. And so he conquered death. He nailed those requirements to the cross, and what ends up happening is because of that is now that we can go in him, and the, it's just like what it says back in the other one, that it's no longer required of us, that we're now under Jesus Christ. What a hard thing for these guys to understand is because their whole life, they've had these requirements that they needed to fulfill. And now... The writer is saying, and Paul is saying through his letters, no, that's not the way it is. You rely on Jesus Christ's works, not your works. You rely on his work that he's done on the cross for you. So the we that we believe are free from the law. Look at Galatians 5. We are free from the law. Galatians 5, verses 1 through 6. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Talking about being in that system of following all the rules. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace." And so it's just talking about a person that wants to be with Jesus Christ, but they're trying to go back to the law to fulfill those things. 
And there's, right here he's saying, no, you're falling from grace when you do that. That's like saying you don't want the grace of God. So even in churches that say, yeah, Jesus Christ is the way to salvation, but then here's the other things you need to complete to get full salvation. No, that's, he's saying right here, you're falling from grace when you do that. You can't return to the law. In verse 5 it says, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. So he's basically saying neither following the law or, or, or following the law avails to anything, but faith works through love. Pointing back to faith. It has to be about faith. And also, the last one for this point, for this argument, is we are now dead to the old and we're married to the new. In Romans 7, 1 through 4. Romans chapter 7. Verses 1 through 4, it says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no, no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Talking about him nailing it to the cross. That you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. And so just talking and showing that that's who we're married to. That we're no longer under that law. We're married to Jesus Christ now. And so that was that first argument talking about you know, being that doctrinal, but both the priesthood and the law were imperfect but Jesus Christ being that perfect priesthood for us. The next one is the priesthood, the priesthood and the law are imperfect, which means that they can't be forever. Anything that's imperfect cannot keep going on forever. And so in verses 15, back over in Hebrews, verses 15 through 19, it talks about these. And when In Hebrews, in, chat, in verse 15, when it says another, let me get back there. In verse 15, when it says there, and it is yet far more evident if the likeness of Melchizedek here rises another priest. When it uses that another, you have to make sure that you understand that the wording here is not talking about just another priest. What it's talking about is completely, it's another of a different kind. So it's another priest, but of a different kind. And he wants to make that point, and even in the wording there, in the, in the, in the Greek, is, is making it sure that this is a different type. It's not the same type of a priest. The priests were given authority by a temporal and imperfect law. And Jesus was made priest by God's declaration. Big difference there. So the priests are under the law, and that's where they get their authority is from this law, but the law has passed away. It was a tutor, but no longer needing the tutor anymore, right? So if these guys were under that, then that means that they would have passed on. So we have Jesus Christ, and he was declared by God. It's a personal declaration. He is the everlasting Son of God, so having an everlasting ministry. Whereas the priests didn't have that. And we'll talk about that in a little bit because up in, in uh, I can't remember which verse, but it talks about them dying, and that's another fault with them is that they're man. So they couldn't live all that, you know, forever. So Jesus one-upped them in that. Now another argument with it is that the priest, Jesus was made priest by an oath. I think this is one of the most important facts that are in, within these scriptures right here because of that, what it's saying there. And so verses 20 and 22, 22 through 22, let's read them again. 
It says, and as much as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, and this is, where, this is over in Psalms, it says, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, or some versions say repent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 22, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. And so no priest was ever ordained and established on God's personal oath. They're always established through the law. The Levitical law says this is what it's supposed to be like, this is what a priest looks like, this is how you are a priest. Jesus Christ, however, was under a personal oath that he was made priest. Not one person within Aaron's line was ever made priest by the oath of God. It was only in Jesus Christ. And so the writer showing the Jewish person that, look it, even God himself was making an oath showing that Jesus Christ is the superior priest. Now the priest, to be able to be a priest in the Levitical under Aaron, the priest only needed to belong to the Levitical tribe, have the right physical and ceremonial requirements. And that's all found in Leviticus 21, verses 16 through 24. And that's what they needed but Jesus Christ is of the heavenly priesthood, and it's by his, here's the way, the requirements that he fulfilled, or that he made, is that it's by way of his work on the cross, his character, and then by the oath of God. And just showing them over and over and again that Jesus Christ is so much more superior. Now in that verse, in verse 21, where it says that, and he will not relent, speaking of God, that word used, repent, there's some people that go in there and they said, look, God repented, and you said God is not changing. Anyways, that's not what that word is talking about. Repent or relent is that he will not change his mind. So the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, not repent, not relent. He won't change his mind in what he's done in that oath that he's made there. And so Jesus, what he becomes is that he becomes a surety of a better covenant. That surety, there's some great examples, and I'm trying to rush through it. This is a neat example that is found with Judah and Benjamin. Now, not the tribes, but the actual guys. Remember what happened when Joseph was sold into slavery, right? Becomes the prince of Egypt. Not like the Disney version. But he's there. He has his boys, his brothers come and see him. What does he do with the youngest brother? He says, you know what, when they first came, he says, go back and get your youngest brother and bring him back to me. They had no idea who Joseph was. When they went back, the dad, Jacob, had, he, there was no way he wanted to let his youngest go because he already lost Joseph. He says, absolutely not, Benjamin is not going with you. And what happens is Judah steps up. His older brother, Judah, steps up and he says to him that he will be a surety, that he was going to be the surety for Benjamin to guarantee his return. And so he stepped up to be that sure promise that this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be that guarantee for him to come back. Another person that did the same thing was Paul with uh, Onesimus, the slave. You guys can find it in Philemon 18 and 19. It talks about it, and Paul talks about him being a surety for Onesimus and the debt he owed him. Such great examples of Jesus Christ because that surety is that that's a guarantee that's going to happen. And so when you look at that in verse 22, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. And if you guys even have a side mark there, another word that they've used is guarantee. 
that there is this new covenant. And you guys have to understand the mind of the Jew coming into this is that they don't want to enter into something that's unsure. Here they have how many years of being sure in Levitical law, and now somebody's telling them something new. And he wants to confirm that in Jesus Christ, you guys can be sure. These guys already believe in Jesus Christ, but they want to return to the law because they're afraid to leave it. But Jesus Christ is that surety of that new covenant that's made with him. And next week, we're going to talk about the covenant and how Jesus is better than that covenant in chapter 8. So, I think I might, yeah, let's try to, let's get this last point done. So being, this is that one point I was talking about in verses 23 through 25, that the other thing that Jesus trumps them on is that they were men and they died. And so verses 23 through 25 says, also they were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. And that was a good question in their mind. Well, is there there's a, a savior that comes every once in a while? I mean, we always had these priests coming, so is there going to be a and he wants to show them, no, there's only one. There's only one that's going to be there. One work that's been done, it's sure. Therefore, he, in verse 25, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And getting to see that, yes, the priesthood, the thing is that it was discontinued with each priest. They had to set up another high priest. It was always this breaking. It was a system that was at fault because here you had these guys, and of course they're going to die. And so he wanted to even show that it's even better in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ does not have this, this priesthood that only lasts as long as that guy, and then it's another priesthood. But he has an eternal priesthood, which in turn makes that an unchanging priesthood, which for us would mean that it's security and confidence for us being his people. That's what that brings. That's why that was so important, because there's this surety. He wants to guarantee them that this is what it is, that you guys can rest in that. Now, there's a verse here that a lot of people will change up. It says in verse 25, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. And there's what happens is some people read this, so they'll take it out of context, and they'll read it as this verse is saying, He is able to save from the uttermost. And that's not what this verse is saying here. True statement. He, he can save everybody from it doesn't matter what sin they've committed. Jesus Christ can save. But that verse here is talking, and it says, if you read it there, it says, to the uttermost. And what it's saying is, is, is the truth that's coming is it's completely and forever. That's what the uttermost is. That Jesus saves completely and forever to those who believe in him. And so it's showing that even with that priesthood and, and these guys that are there, the, the priesthood after Aaron, they weren't able to do anything to the uttermost. It wasn't completely and forever with them. It was incomplete. It wasn't forever. As it talked about earlier with the law. It's weakness in verse 18. It's a weakness and unprofitableness. And that last part, the practical argument, we'll go through real quick. In verses 26 through 28, it says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. That verse 26 is such a great verse because what it's saying is that the priesthood of Aaron 
those priests could not always meet the people's needs, and especially of all the people of the, the, of, of the Israelites. They couldn't meet all their needs. And so even in that verse right there, it says, for such a high priest was fitting for us. Jesus Christ was absolutely fitting for us. And in that, it's that Jesus was fitting for us. It means that he perfectly meets all of our needs, and he meets them all completely. Meets every one of our needs, and he completely meets them. He's fitting for us, and it gives the characteristics of him harmless or innocent is another word that they use. He's holy, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Jesus is perfect in meeting all the requirements, so there's no need for a sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. He was a sacrifice that completed that. It was no longer needed anymore. And so then the very end in verse 28, for then the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but in Jesus Christ, by the word of an oath, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. And thank the Lord, but by that oath that Jesus Christ is now that priest, that high priest that can come in and be that mediator for us. And it's not just a temporal thing. It's not a sacrifice that has to happen over again, but it's permanent with him. It's forever. There's no need for another man to step in there for us. It's between us and Jesus. And to have that is such a thing, and I hope you guys realize and getting to see that it's so awesome to see that within this relationship we have with God, there isn't all these requirements that we need to fulfill so that we can gain favor with him. There isn't all these things that we need to make sure that we're doing all the time, and if we don't do them, oh great, he's mad at us again. That's not our Father. And it's so awesome that he's put Jesus in there as our mediator, as our high priest. So all we do is we go to him. And it says that he's fitting for us. That means he's going to completely meet all of our needs. All we have to do is trust in him. And so thank the Lord that we have that. So Lord, we just want to thank you and praise you, um, especially as the season comes up of, of just reminding us that you came to this earth in that human body, Lord. And so we just want to praise you and thank you for what you've done and what you've completed, being sinless. And, um, you know, even in the earlier verses and talking about you went through every temptation like us and so that you can understand what we go through. And so when we come to you, it's something that you've experienced as well, Lord, and not in that sin, but in that temptation. And so we just thank you so much that you get to mediate for us. Um, and, and Lord, we just praise you. We thank you so much for your sacrifice that you've done for us. And as we continue to go through Hebrews, Lord, I ask you just preach, you know, show us and teach us what things we need to understand as far as um, how you've completed and how you're superior to the old way. And uh, that we could just praise you and glorify you for your awesome plan that you have for us, Lord. We thank you in your name and pray. Amen.